welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, and we are on, believe it or not, week six of the Summer Old Book Club, reading Jane Austen's Persuasion together, chapters four through six, volume two this week. And I have somebody who is just so special on the podcast today for you guys. This lovely person on the screen with me is the lovely the intelligent, the indomitable Carol Irwin, my wonderful grandmother. Welcome, Carol. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I think, uh, I don't know if you you are this brave, really, to have me on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think it's going to be great. I'm so excited. So, Carol Irwin um, is originally from Nebraska, but she's been in Phoenix for a very long time, which is where I grew up. So I had the pleasure of going over to her house almost every week for Sunday dinner when I was a kid, and we always loved that. And she's an incredible mother and grandmother. She was an English and music teacher for many years for junior high kids, which in my book practically qualifies her for sainthood. (laughs) And she's a dedicated volunteer with the Food Bank Ministry, St. Vincent de Paul, and she's an avid reader. And I like to partially credit my own obsession with books to her influence over the years. She is wise, kind, fierce, generous, and she's smart as hell. I'm so excited that she's agreed to come on her very first podcast ever. Um, and so welcome, Grandma, to Old Books with Grace. Oh, my goodness, Grace. I, you'll make me cry. You know? <laughs> well, it's all true. So you shouldn't weep on the podcast. Don't, don't <laughs> weep on the podcast. No, but it's true. But okay, so whenever I have someone on, I always ask these three questions for them. So the first question for you, Grandma, is who or what is your favorite author or book from more than 50 years ago? Well, you know, I, I, I had a hard time with that because I'm just going to say the Confessions of St. Augustine. You I, can't I go wrong. And, uh, but then, you know, there were, I love Steinbeck and, you know, because it was very Nebraska, all of the people from Kansas and Nebraska leaving, you know, in the Dust Bowl. Yeah. But that wasn't really 50. Yeah, it was 50. Yeah. 50 no, Steinbeck years. certainly yeah. qualifies. Yeah. So that that was another book that really came to my mind. So, yeah, but there were so many, right? Yes. I loved all those Russian authors, too, you know? Oh, yes. Tolstoy and, oh, my gosh. I Which is your favorite of those? Oh. I don't know, but a couple summers ago in the little book club that we have, we decided to read War and Peace, which was <laughs> a summer, but really, I ended up loving that too, you know. So, yeah. I have to confess, I've never read War and Peace, but I need to. You have to gird your loins. <laughs> I gird my loins indeed. That's not like a summer book. That's like a hardcore, like winter's read. I know. I, I love know. that. Okay, question number two. Which literary character do you most identify with and why? 
Well, I thought about that a lot with Jane Austen and, and with this book and which character in her, in this story of persuasion uh, would I identify with? And um, I was kind of torn between, part of me for sure is Anne, I think. Mm. I've always been a person, thanks, of a person who tried to uh, figure out people and, uh, all, and watch their actions, but also I would say, uh, you know, who's the person that tries to make things uh, work out? Uh, uh, Lady Russell? No, no, Anne. Oh, Anne, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, she was trying to fix things in a way, in her own mind. Yes, trying to help everyone, trying to be of use. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So I probably, I'm more like Anne uh, in that. Lady Russell, you know, I have my views about what people should do. (laughs) They're not always right. And Lady Russell's not always right. I know. Actually, it was funny. I was just talking. um, Who was I talking to? Another friend after that last episode where we talked so much about Lady Russell and this person was saying how much they actually feel like they're, Oh, it was Scott. My husband, oh. Scott was saying how he feels like he's a lot like lady Russell, <laughs> like has some really, uh, uh, good opinions about things, but kind of got to them in not a great way. And so the, opi- so the idea itself ends up kind of being compromised. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And really a good author, I think, makes us look at we're kind of a tiny bit about each character aren't yes we? we just have a little you know a little mr elliot in us yes kind of keeping things under the under the pillow you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think and, that's so true oh i know and so uh but i think probably i'm more like Anne in a way yeah Okay. And then the last question, number three, and I've been super curious to hear your answer to this. I've been looking forward to this, which is when was the first time that you read a Jane Austen novel and what did you think? Well, I want to tell you about, you know, in my life and as I, you know, I'm 86 years old, right? So, and I was raised on a farm. We did not read and uh, my my biggest uh, happiness probably with reading was that my mother uh, subscribed to like Ladies Home Journal and uh, Good Housekeeping magazines, and those magazines would have serial stories in them, you know. Yeah. And I and I love that, but we did not go to the light the little tiny library in our little town, you know, Mm -hmm. I was probably uh, a freshman in high school or maybe eighth grade, but I don't know. When we went to the library, I think that I can recall for the first time and I can remember getting the book, Rebecca. Oh, yes. I just thought that was so amazing. And so, and then in school, we didn't read that much then. We would read from anthologies, you know? Yes, yes. And so I'd have to say probably I didn't read. Well, 
it wasn't terribly long ago that I read Pride and Prejudice. Yes. And that was the first one. Then our book club read uh, Mansfield Park. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, now Persuasion. And uh, I'm, I haven't read Sense and Sensibilities yet, but I ordered it and I'm going to read it. Oh, good. Good. And what did you think when you first read Pride and Prejudice? Well, who couldn't love Mr. Darcy? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of fall in love a little bit. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. But I don't know when I first read it, if I, you know, like we're doing now, just taking it so apart. Uh-huh. You know, and I I don't think I really understood all that Jane Austen was trying to deliver to us. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And I think it really goes against her um, that she's viewed as this sort of romance author of olden days, you know, so you can kind of underrate, not that you did when you read it, but I I think a lot of folks can underrate her as a, a really keen observer of human life. Yes, and really, in a lot of ways, it's very political. Yes, you know, it is political. You're class, absolutely right. Yes, the class struggle, you know. Uh, uh, and it's very ethical. I think she's one of the most ethical, ethical, ethically minded authors out there, basically. Yes. And I wonder what her, her uh, religious belief is, you know, that... that I kind of had a question mark there with that. Yeah, yeah. well, she was she was the daughter of an Anglican clergyman. So oh. he, he was a parish priest in, in Steventon um, in Hampshire, England. And she was uh, definitely a devout Anglican. Um, but uh, kind of that old school way of she, she didn't... Um, the old school English way of not interested in necessarily like evangelizing on the streets about it, um, but keenly interested in these ethical questions in what constitutes the life of virtue, what constitutes uh, following Christ um, in her world at that moment. She's really interested in that, but it's all very, uh, it's all very, uh, an undercurrent in her work, I guess I'd say. Yeah, because, because really, uh, you know, through this whole whole time of these three chapters and the book, really, but the, these three chapters, in her own way, she she was uh, political. Not that she would call it that, but uh, that she was very concerned. I thought, which showed up later with Mrs. Smith, you know. Yes. But she she was very much concerned with the poor. And whereas it was such a contrast with uh, her father, which yes. I, I haven't understand understood her relationship with her father, really. Yes. But, um, Let's get into it. Let's get going and, and yeah. start chatting. Because there's you're right. There's some really interesting stuff going on with Mrs. Smith with Mr. With, with Sir Walter and with Mr. Elliot, all those people, there's a lot of ethical, political issues yes. bubbling up around you, which you've put your finger on. Okay, so 
we're on chapter four now. And if you can think back, everybody, to uh, um, Anne has now returned to Bath and she's met Mr. Elliot and she is uh, she's back in Camden Place. And now uh, here we are. So I, I thought right away how interesting to insert Mrs. Clay. Yes. I thought Mrs. Clay was statement you know because here they were so so into being with the best people and uh, the the people who had some connection to royalty or you know and then there was Mrs. Clay yes and uh who like Mrs. Smith has this very undistinguished surname you know Clay Smith um, just a, a nobody name. It's not like the Dalrymples who are. <laughs> and so. Oh, wait, we're having sound issues. I think there is there something close to your um, to your speaker. I don't know. Oh, there you go. You're back. You're back. Am I back? Yes, you're back. OK, it takes this away, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So they're not, it's not the Dalrymples. You're right. And so it's very hypocritical of, so even though that's kind of a gross value anyways, they're not even staying true to their own values of like valuing class because they have Mrs. Clay around all the time. And that's exactly where we begin. I know. And really it's so odd for Elizabeth who's, who wants to be in the upper class and wants to be you know, with the Dalrymples and, and all of those people. And yet she just is so attached to Mrs. Clay. Yes. And, and I think it shows that even their, like, even their pride, even their pride of place is extremely vapid and shallow. Where They, they don't have any conception about um, consistency or uh, reasons why they feel the way they feel. They just feel them that's it they're surface level yeah um and that's so sir walter and so elizabeth well i did i had to laugh though grace at when Anne arrived then and then mrs clay you know mrs clay played that that scene you know yes all such a such a put on front you know where she, well it's time for me to go now you know, <laughs> surely is, I'm no longer wanted here I'm no longer wanted and Anne is so much more beautiful than I am and you know and I just thought and didn't she at one point I I would have to look looked over at Elizabeth and and made a little eye contact with with her you know like Elizabeth, I think, knew also that she was putting on a show, you know. Oh, but, Anne, Anne knows, but Elizabeth doesn't know, right? Because Elizabeth is is like, um, she just eats up whatever Mrs. Clay says. She's ready oh. to be flattered. Like, I think she goes, so it's, it, this line is what cracked me up. when Because I agree, it's such a scene. It's so staged. It's ridiculous. But she goes, Elizabeth says in a sort of whisper, which is really sad because she's saying it loud enough so Anne can hear. It's not really a whisper. She says, that must not be any reason indeed. I assure you, I feel it none. She is nothing to me compared oh. with you, her sister. 
I know, you know, Grace, now this is one thing that I don't understand in the, the whole thing of Anne. Okay, why is it that she is so much a nothing to all of them? She really was so intelligent. I mean, mm -hmm. she was back when they had to move and they were figuring out their expenses, remember? Yes. The very yes. beginning, she really had worked it out where they they could make it work yes. if, if they would cut down. She had it all budgeted and all that. Yes. And they didn't pay one iota of attention to her, you yes. know? Yes. And I, I haven't understood why she is so unnoticed by her family and so kind of disliked and yet they need her all the time. They need her. They do. They really yeah. do. Do you have any theories on why that might be? I have some, but I'd like to hear yours. If you have any theories on it. No, no. She of course loved her mother so much and then her mother died and she was sent away to boarding school is how I understand it. Yes. And and that's, of course, where she met, you know, Mrs. Smith. I mean, yes. she was Mrs. Smith then, but, uh, which she'll meet in the next couple of chapters. But um, I don't know whether they just got used to not having her. I don't know what happened to the others while the mother died. And, like, what happened to Elizabeth? Uh, was she also sent away to school or Mary? Uh, I, I didn't really, I didn't really know. So, because I thought, oh my goodness. And then, uh, you know, with the father, the father doesn't take her seriously either. No. And, uh, and yet she keeps, she respects him and does what is right and correct. Yes. And I think what your, what your words gesture to is my theory on it, which is that I think that Anne listens to them because she has been taught honor thy father and thy mother. And yeah. she is, she is trying her best to make good of a bad situation where she goes, I don't respect what you do I don't respect what you believe but I can at least respect you as a person enough to show you that outward obedience that especially in that day and age we might interpret it differently now but in that day and age she owed it to her father as a daughter in that in her class to show this out to conform outwardly to his will and wishes we respect him mm -hmm. so I think that's one thing I think that why they don't appreciate Anne and this is my theory could be wrong but my what what I think Austin is really interested in is what happens when people who are fundamentally so different from each other and have such different values and aren't willing to listen to another person with different values than them, what happens? And I think that the relationship between Elizabeth and Sir Walter on one side and on the other side is a relationship where there's a total misalignment of values. They have nothing in common in actually what they value in other people, what they find good about life, what they find valuable in life, what they think good action looks like. And because... Anne is so 
incomprehensible to them. They are incapable of seeing value in her, which I think we see still all the time today with people who don't want to learn or listen from somebody else's way of being in the world. Right, right, yeah. And even though you call yourself, you know, a Christian and an Anglican in their case, um, that was far about what Anglicans teach. You know what I mean? Yeah. The compassion and so forth, uh, that you're only trying to, no matter what, make yourself more important. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I think this is what Austin sees as like such a danger in her society is that she just sees it. I think this book is so clear that she sees this danger of of self-aggrandizing all the time where yeah. everything is just about uplifting yourself. And Anne is just the opposite of that in so many ways. Yes, yes. So I, I thought it was interesting, uh, all of that with Mrs. Clay. And uh, of course, Mrs. Russell could kind of, could see through Mrs. Clay. Yes. I thought that was interesting too. Yes. But then Mr. Elliot kind of appears on the scene, right? Yes. And uh, and I thought I thought there was kind of a flaw in Mrs. Russell then with Mr. Elliot, you know? Yes, yes. I I think you're right. I think this is another point where we see Anne's opinion and Lady Russell's opinion diverge from each other because Anne, it feels almost like um, something is not quite right about Mr. Elliot, but everything looks to be in his favor, but it's very hard to tell what's going on. And then Lady Russell just is like, I'm sold. I'm ready to see you sitting in your mother's place in Kellynch Hall. Yes. It's going to be amazing. Yes. So she had her own agenda for what she wanted that was good for her in a way too yes yeah it was her dream she was seeing her fantasy and it was a a fantasy out of her love for Anne and her love for Anne's mother but it's still a fantasy that she is kind of thinking ahead and seeing and it's blinding her to some of Mr. Elliot's slipperiness that we can not really see even yet but that comes out more and more as as we go along yes yeah and of course, Mrs. Russell kind of saw herself, I think, as Anne's mother. Yeah. A replacement of Anne's mother. Definitely. And so um, she kind of felt like she knew what was best. Yeah. You know? Definitely. And Anne, God bless her, loved Mrs. Russell too. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and, and, uh, really respected her and respected her opinions and all, but didn't have the courage. And of course that time uh, in the culture was so, she was so hooked up to the culture of that time that she didn't have the courage to stand up. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so it, it wasn't the idea of love conquers all. <laughs> no, no, and and it, and Anna, I think would have seen it as as earlier. She sees it as forms of duty, right? Forms of duty to what's owed to Lady Russell, what's yes. owed to her father, um, and that's why early on she couldn't cast aside those things um, mm-hmm. to marry Wentworth. No, 
no. So, uh, so that that was all just very interesting. But I thought she was so good about reading people. She just thought Mr. Elliot was too perfect. Yes. Yes. Nobody can be this perfect, you know. Nobody, no. Not and perfect in a good way. But she has that whole list of things. And this is, it's super interesting because he's, he's got it all going on for him. So he's every, she, Austin writes, everything united in him. Good understanding, correct opinions, knowledge of the world, and a warm heart. He had strong feelings of family attachment and family honor without pride or weakness. He lived with the liberality of a man of fortune without display. He judged for himself in everything essential without defying public opinion in any point of worldly decorum. He was steady, observant, moderate, candid, never run away with by spirits or by selfishness, which fancied itself strong feeling, and yet with a sensibility to what was amiable and lovely and a value for all the felicities of domestic life, which characters of fancied enthusiasm and violent agitation seldom really possess. That is a huge list of virtues. I mean, that is crazy. Oh my goodness, yes. But then um, I loved it that right after that, in that next paragraph, when Anne was thinking about him, she said... uh, that um, Lady Russell should see nothing suspicious or inconsistent, yes. nothing to require more motives that appeared in Mr. Elliot's great desire of a reconciliation. Yes. But the Anne saw it. Yes. You and know. where it first appears that she's like, well, besides his extremely flimsy excuse for why he fell away from the family, which was absurd that we talked about last time. But yes. besides that, where she's first noticing it, and this I think fits into some of your um, earlier thoughts about like Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Clay and Rank, is that she notes that she and Mr. Elliot and notes Anna and Mr. Elliot don't always think alike. His value for rank and connection she perceived to be greater than hers. So, and it's in relation, to, they're talking about the Dalrymples, the boring but upper class uh, gentry Dalrymples. So, um, and I think that's really interesting and just shows us so much now of. I know this has been a theme time after time of Jane Austen's hesitation about how much rank shapes her society and that this yes. is where Elliot's cracks are showing a little bit is really interesting. Yes. Yeah. And then I thought just finishing up that little area too, it was just really um, decided, not said, but decided that really he should marry Elizabeth because she was older than him. <laughs> and, you know, I thought yes. that was interesting. And then Mrs. Russell said, well, hmm, yeah, kind of like time will tell because <laughs> she was liking Mr. Elliot and just what you said, she could visualize Anne as Mrs. Elliot, you know, the lady of the manor. Yes. Uh, like her mother, yeah. you know, and uh, so um, Mrs. Russell really wanted him to, to marry him. Yes. Okay, I have a question for you. This is part of this same section, and I have been thinking about this, and I'm not quite sure what I think, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. So 
here we are dealing with the Dalrymples, which always cracks me up because they're just kind of dull and bland and not really good company, but people want to be in their circle because they are nobilities. Um, and they're nobles. And uh, the the agony that the Elliots are undergoing right now, agony is the word Austin uses, which is hilarious, is how to introduce themselves properly. Um, they're dying, dying to get in with the Dalrymples. And then there's this, this paragraph right here. Anne had never seen her father and sister before in contact with nobility, and she must acknowledge herself disappointed. <laughs> she had hoped better things from their high ideas of their own situation in life and was reduced to form a wish which she had never foreseen, a wish that they had more pride oh. for our cousins, Lady Dalrymple and Miss Carteret, our cousins, the Dalrymples, sounded in her ears all day long. Um, and I was so, I mean, this is a, a little passage of biting wit that I love, but also I was super curious because um, the Elliot pride, as the Musgroves put it uh, in relation to Mary, is this curse for the Elliots. It has tainted their view of everything. Um, they've become ridiculous, absurd people in this like overweening obsessive pride that they have. And now Anne is wishing that they had more pride. And so I'm wondering what kind of pride is the right pride? And like, when is pride appropriate or what kind of pride is she talking about? Well, you know that this, this pride of making yourself more grand and noble and and wonderful, even though, you know, we're human beings, is the one kind of pride that we're not looking for. Yes. Um, but the other kind of pride, if I can say, is that I am proud that I am a child of God. Yes. Right. And so as a child of God, I, I would hope that... I would try to be the person that God made me. Well, that, that person would see others, be compassionate, would be thoughtful, would be loving, would be all of those things. And if I have any kind of pride, I think in the scripture that said, only the pride in Christ. Yes. You know? Is that, are you thinking of Paul? Like, I only boast yes. in the cross, that yes. kind of idea. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a good pride in that. Yes. Huh? I, I need to act in a, in a, if you want to say a Christian, but it could be a Buddhist or whatever. I could act in the way that God made me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not in the way that I, I think, I want to be at the top of the heap and be proud. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, so I think that's what Anne was, was saying there. So it's an improper wishes. self-evaluation in a negative sense where yes. it's, you aren't holding your, your 
value is so closely tied to rank or to connections that then you actually fail to highly value yourself enough as a, as a creative, as a creature, as a creation. I only want to pride myself in how others see me. Yes. You yes. What I mean in, in how much of a big shot I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's right. I think that's a really great way of looking at that passage. So I, yeah, I love that she wished that they had a little more. Yes, I think there's something blocking your speaker again, maybe. I love, oh no. Oh, there you go. You're back. You're back. I, I love that, that my dad would say, or another dad have said, might have been your dad. Remember who you are when you were going out, you know, of, a, of an evening. Uh-huh. A young child. And that can be taken, uh, I guess it could, the Elliots would think, oh, I'm an Elliot. You know what I yes. mean? Yes, yes, exactly. Also, you're a child of God, so act act like it, you know? Yes, I, mean? I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a great anecdote to go with it. They're yeah. actually forgetting who they are in this moment. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a neat little place. I love that too. Yeah, that's great. Um, so now we're. I, we're have to, I, I have to get back. Where was it that that Sir that Sir Walter talked about Mrs. Clay and and what she was putting on her face and it it got rid of <laughs> the uh, the cream. And he thought that maybe Anne was oh Gowland Gowland's cream. And he thought maybe Anne was putting it on too because again, like we've been talking about, Anne has had a glow up. Anne is uh, looking really pretty these days because people are starting to notice her. Um, and again, I love that idea actually in Austin that Anne's prettiness um, is is coming from attention from people like good attention people who are giving her value as a person and it's not that um uh it's not the other way around that there's this people recognizing her intrinsic value and so she is actually physically reflecting that recognition which is very interesting but um (laughs) i thought that was interesting too yes gallons the cream it improved Mrs. Clay's freckles so much. But Anne, but Anne couldn't see any difference. No, Anne, Anne was like, hmm, that seems questionable. I know. Um, I really like, as they're continuing to wrestle with the Dalrymples and how to get into their good graces. Um, <laughs> and uh, so as we go on, there's a lot of talk about Laura Place, which is where they live. Our cousins in Laura Place, our cousins, Lady Dalrymple and Miss Carteret. And Anne is ashamed of all of this nonsense. Um, and, uh, and they're not good company, actually. They are awkward and boring. And uh, at least they are civil, but that's about the best you can say for them. And they have this discussion of good company that I think is really interesting, too. Um, but you know, I was thinking about that too with with now. Just imagine the difference. They didn't have they didn't have any kind of technology of, you know, just think of the radio or 
you know, don't even mention television, but they had to make their own enjoyment. Huh? Yes. And their enjoyment was conversation. With yes. Them. Yes. That's a great point. And also, you know, people coming to visit, that was a big thing. You know, now we would just turn on the television and we'd have, you know, whatever we wanted to. to right. You could listen to people talk forever. That It's their job to talk. They're professional talkers. That's right. But they didn't have any of that. So conversation was so important to them. <coughs> and of course, the Dalrymples didn't really have, have that much to say. They were no. <coughs> no. And I love, okay, something I also noticed in this whole bit was that everybody is referred to by their address. As we'll see with Mrs. Smith, too. Um, and maybe I should just actually hold off on that for a minute. Um, we'll get to that in just a minute. But keep in mind for a second how many times you see Laura Place mentioned, which is the Dalrymple's address. Our cousins in Laura Place. Oh, Laura Place. Oh, we're going to Laura Place later. Over and over and over. So I'm going to put a pin on that. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But here we are to chapter five. When the Crofts come too, they were so worried about where they were going to to live. You know? Yes, it's so important. Where, yeah, uh-huh. yes, and actually, we begin chapter five with <laughs> while Sir Walter and Elizabeth were assiduously pushing their good fortune in Laura Place, Anne was renewing an acquaintance of a very different description. So here oh, we are. I know. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, an old school fellow, and we see these old ties that are really important to Anne. She's a very loyal person. Um, and it's Mrs. Smith. And well, Mrs. Before Smith- we get there, I wanted to mention too, uh, Anne's uh, right at the end of that chapter before we get to five. Yes, yes. Um, and Anne says, I certainly, she's talking about the Dalrymples. Uh, yes, sighed Anne. We shall indeed be known to be related to them because they like to say they were related. (laughs) Then recollecting herself and not wishing to be answered, she added, I certainly do think there has been by far too much trouble taken to procure the acquaintance. I suppose, smiling, I have more pride than any of you, but I confess it does vex me that we should be so solicitous to have the relationship acknowledged, which we may be very sure is a matter of perfect indifference to the, of them. So they they could care less about the Elliots. Yes. Know. So and I love that you pointed out that section because again, it's that pride question where yes. Anne, who we know is actually an extremely humble person. Yes. Um is saying, I have more pride than any of you. Uh Um, And so that goes back to that question of, okay, not all pride is opposed to to humility. Not all pride is is opposed to true self-knowledge. In fact, Uh some versions of pride are part of Um, self-knowledge. And, but then I I love, I actually totally overlooked this until you pointed out, but um, Mr. Elliot then says, you know, blah, blah, blah. He gives a compliment. In Bath, Sir Walter Elliot and his family will always be worth knowing, always acceptable as acquaintance. And Anne 
that doesn't really like that answer. Um, and she says, well, I certainly am proud, too proud to enjoy a welcome, which depends so entirely upon place. Oh, I love that. And later on, she mentions in, in the next chapter what somebody says, and now I've forgotten. Somebody says something, well, that wouldn't be appropriate in London, but it's okay in Bath. Yes. You remember that? And she said that it, it's, it's really too bad when, when we have to uh, depend on location. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. And I, and, and I think this, this is great because it place here is kind of, has kind of multiple meanings because it's talking about the Bath and London thing, which is like, okay, so manners are different in Bath than they are in London. And just for those of you, uh, just to, to cast ourselves back for a minute into the Regency period, think social mores were very strict there um, in that time. And they, de- they did depend a lot on place. So country manners were different than city manners. The way that you could make calls on people, visit people's houses in the country was different than it was in the city. And in a smaller city like Bath, it was even different than in a big city like London. So that's kind of what they're referring to here is that there are these very strict social rules that you did not transgress because it was a big faux pas. But so she's referring to that. But then I think she's also referring to her own rank where she's saying, I don't want to be just accepted in rooms merely because of my own rank, my place in society. So it's this twofold meaning of place that she is rejecting and pushing back against. That's right. Yeah. And of and- course, what you were saying there about social mores that really shows up with the Crofts. And remember when Mrs. Croft is always walking with her husband. Yes. It's, it's such a country thing and that would never happen in London. Yes. And it's kind of borderline faux pas in Bath, but I love it because it just shows that the Crofts, they, it's not that they are impolite or incorrect. They are extremely polite and very attentive towards other people, but they also don't follow social mores that they find to be useless. Right. Yeah. And Anne likes that about Anne that. really likes that. Anne responds so strongly to that. That's part of her interest in the Navy is how it breaks down those social yes. mores and kind of renders them a little useless. Yes. Um, that again shows that she's making a little, Austin is making a little political statement too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so let's go to, let's go to Mrs. Smith. Let's talk about Mrs. Smith in chapter five. And Mrs. Smith is a very interesting character for Austin um, because we don't often go out of the class of like slightly poorer landed gentry that Austin usually writes firmly within. So we have, all of them are of course rich in terms that they have house. They um, are, you know, they have, um, a family that's supported by the, by the land and by land ownership and not by labor or not by a career profession. Um, all of her families and heroines in her novels are like that unless they, of course, lose their father and then are, yeah. are widows and, and dependents upon the hospitality of other family members. Here we have a character who is not supported by family members, who is now working with her hands to make money um, and to give to the poor as well. And um, she is chronically ill. 
So she's a really different character. Um, and I can't really think of another character in Austin's novels who has this really interesting profile like Mrs. Smith does. Oh, it's, she's, she's a lovable character to me. I love Mrs. Smith. Why do you love Mrs. Smith? What do you find appealing about her? I loved her courage. I loved her steadfast. I loved her, um, you know, the fact that she learned, learned a craft, you know what I mean? Yes and put her head down and did something with it. And then she kind of took advantage of the, the rich lady. That- yes. <laughs> well, she also, I mean, that's what makes this character extra interesting is that she's not like necessarily like a goody goody, you know, right. like there's a right. little spice in her where, where yeah. she's, she's kind of playing off of people's guilt a little bit. And then I make them pay for my goods. Like, cause I, they know my situation's not great. So I'm going to take advantage of that. And there's something kind of wonderful about that. <laughs> that's right. I thought, I thought she was a real person. You know what I she mean? She is, yeah. Yeah. And her interest in gossip. I find that really interesting too. Oh, I know. Again, again, you can see that they almost needed all that because they didn't have anything else. Yes. You know, uh, they didn't even have a lot of books to read. Yes. I mean, unless you were wealthy. Right. You know, then you could have almost anything you wanted. But honestly, they needed that conversation. They needed to hear what was going on from the nurse and, the, you know, whoever else would stop by to, to have a little conversation, you know? Yes. Um, and, and she's interesting, too, because she even cuts down some of Anne's more, like, noble-minded feelings in a really interesting way. So, for example... Um, Anne is trying to figure out how to like talk to her about her interest in gossip. And she's trying to draw some good out of it. Cause she's a little bit uncomfortable with that idea. And so she goes um, talking about nurse Rook, this woman that, that um, tends to Mrs. Smith and gossips with her and spends time with her. And Anne talks about um, sick rooms and women of that class have great opportunities. And if they are intelligent may well worth be listening to such varieties of human nature as they are in the habit of witnessing. And it is not merely in its follies that they are well-read for they see it occasionally under every circumstance that can be most interesting or affecting. What instances must pass before them of ardent, disinterested, self-denying attachment of heroism, fortitude, patience, resignation of all the conflicts and all the sacrifices that ennoble us most. A sick chamber may often furnish the worth of volumes. And then Mrs. Smith replies, Yes, said Mrs. Smith, more doubtingly. Sometimes it may, though I fear its lessons are not often in the elevated style you describe. Here and there, human nature may be great in times of trial, but generally speaking, it is its weakness and not its strength that appears in a sick chamber. It is selfishness and impatience rather than generosity and fortitude that one hears of. There's so little real friendship in the world, and unfortunately, speaking low and tremulously, there are so many who forget to think seriously till it is almost too late. Uh huh. And this yeah. is this. I I love that idea <clears throat> of how people view, and that's another quality of Mrs. Smith that I like: um, sickness and frailty, and uh, hardship that it can either make you elevated or make you bitter yes 
And uh, Mrs. Smith was a person who used it to develop herself. Yes. Yeah. In a a bigger way, in a more um, beautiful way, you know. Yes. So um, I thought she was an interesting character. Um, And again, again, it's the contrast between what's going on there in that where does she live i've i've lost westgate buildings yes and and the people there the nurse that uh it describes over there on the page before she is a shrewd intelligent sensible woman she's speaking about the nurse yes hers is a line for seeing human nature she has a fund of good sense and observation, which as a companion make her infinitely superior to thousands of those who having only received the best education in the world, I love this, know nothing worth attending to. Yes. Call it gossip if you will, but when Nurse Rook has half an hour's leisure to bestow on me, she is sure to have something to relate that is entertaining and profitable, something that makes one know one's species better. I like yeah, that. That's a good line. That's like, a really good line. You know, going on, yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought it was so interesting compared to, to Sir Walter and Elizabeth and their whole thing with the Dalrymples. I thought that was the huge contrast Yes. And Anne, uh, Austin really brings that home with this next passage where um, Anne has to decline going to Laura Place oh, uh, because she's going to the Westgate buildings to visit Miss Smith and Mrs. Smith. And, and Sir Elliot, Sir Walter, was severe. Westgate buildings, said he. And who is Miss Anne Elliot to be visiting in Westgate buildings? A Mrs. Smith. <laughs> A widow, Mrs. Smith, and who was her husband? One of the 5,000 Mr. Smiths whose names are to be met with everywhere. And what is her attraction? That she's old and sickly. Upon my word, Miss Anne Elliot, you have the most extraordinary taste. Everything that revolts other people, low company, paltry rooms, foul air, disgusting associations are inviting to you. But surely you may put off this old lady till tomorrow. She is not so near her end, I presume, but that she may hope to see another day. Wow, this is kind of like the grossest thing we've heard Sir Walter actually say. Oh, I know, I know. And just so were their only concern with their their name into associating it with, with royalty in any way, shape, or form, then you get, there's such a contrast there. I just, I love that contrast, you know? Yes. Um, and... Yeah. And they talk about their obsession with appearances is so hilarious, but also just awful. Um, Where then his next thought is that uh, the carriage drawing up to Westgate Village or Westgate um, buildings must be a strange sight. And, you know, heaven forbid it's well known to convey a Miss Elliot and such connections. And he's just so 
so annoyed. Um, but what's really funny is that while this is going on, Mrs. Clay leaves the room yeah, because she's realizing, oh, this is very similar to my situation, a destitute widow who uh, doesn't have much to offer. Um, but of course, Sir Walter and Elizabeth have no, no, no self-knowledge, no perception to be able to make that, <laughs> that connection. I know, but Mrs. Clay, who had been present while all this passed, now thought it advisable to leave the room. I love the now thought it advisable. That's so funny. Could have said much and did long to say little in defense of her friends, not very dissimilar claims to theirs, but her sense of personal respect. There that is. Yes, yes. Her father prevented her. She made no reply. She left it to himself to recollect that Mrs. Smith was not the only widow in Bath between 30 and 40 with little to live on and no surname of dignity. Yes. <laughs> she didn't say anything, but it was obvious, you know. Yes. I don't know if Sir Walter even... He, he, he looked beyond that. He didn't want to see it because he... No. He liked Mrs. Clay. Yeah, know? and he doesn't see anything that he doesn't want to see, no. ever. He no. only ever sees what he wants to see. Um, no. and, and I just, I think it's, so I was reading this article because I, I tried to look up a map of Bath because all the addresses are listed so many times, you know, all the building names. And so I was trying to get a feel for what this layout was like with Anne going off to Westgate buildings and the, the, uh, Elliot's going off to Dalrymple's in, in Laura place and all that. And, um, I, I didn't get very far. I, I couldn't really make it out very well, but I read this really interesting little academic article about addresses in this book, and it notes that all of these people, their addresses are mentioned all the time, and everybody except Mr. Elliot has an address. Mr. Oh. Elliot's address is never mentioned. Oh, how strange. Isn't that interesting? And I think that is such a clever little sneaky Jane Austen thing of like, we don't know Mr. Elliot and we can't even place him properly. Oh, how strange. Yeah, that is interesting. Oh, that's, that's strange. Yeah, yeah. Well, I liked it, too, that then Sir Walter says, well, what does Mrs. Russell think about this? You know, uh-huh. but Mrs. Russell, you know, she said she, she agrees. So, yes. Uh, yeah, she sees nothing to blame in it. Yes. So that, that I thought that was interesting also. Okay, so we, ha- we have to go on to chapter six because we're starting to run out of time a little bit. Um, and <laughs> Anne has now been a month in Bath and she is very curious about what's going on in Lyme and Uppercross. And she gets a letter from um, Mary, <laughs> who is always... Oh, Mary, dear Mary. Poor Mary. Oh. Um, and Mary... Her letter is hilarious, as usual. She is unbelievable and consistent. Um, But she shares some crazy news. And the news is that um, Captain Benwick is in love with Louisa and wants to marry her and has shocked everyone. So I thought thought that was an interesting... uh 
little turn of events too, because, you know, uh, Anne was the one that got Mr. Benwick um, to kind of come out of his shell a little bit. Remember with the, yes. the walk and, and she's, and she was talking about books that he should read. And then he yeah. got so excited that, that Anne knew about his poetry. And I don't know that that was interesting. And then Louisa doesn't read at all. It sounds like. No, you know? no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. But then later on, they, they decided that they were thrown together really because of her accident. And yes. Uh, Anne concludes that Louisa had been in an interesting state. Yeah. So had drawn some interest from Captain Benwick. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my goodness. I it's just kind of yeah, yeah. And she judges him a little bit for for falling in love so quickly and and leaving behind his uh, his former love who died. His um, black crepe. Yes, he was still wearing black crepe. Yes, yeah, and she she she's kind about it. She's not mean about it, but she um, she says he had an affectionate heart. He must love somebody. So he, it's almost like he was just looking for an object to attach his love to because yeah. he just, um, but she's just really excited that Captain Wentworth is free. Yes. <laughs> I love this line. She had some feelings which she was ashamed to investigate. They were too much like joy, senseless joy. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, it's just, it's interesting. Um, and poor, poor Mary always just feels so put upon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, Mary. But, but, um, Anne, when she gets the news, is just really so happy because she realizes right away that it it releases Captain Wentworth, you know? Yes. Then I thought it was interesting too that she was so, so uh, interested in finding out whether, whether he was kind of upset with, with uh, Benwick. Yes. So, she didn't she didn't want to put a wedge in their relationship. You know, yes, Captain. I thought that was um what was really sweet about that, and especially I had just read that line out from from Mrs. Smith about how how rare real friendship is in the world and how she was wrestling with that because she had been abandoned by so many of her friends from her past life. And here um, Anne is worried that uh, Wentworth is losing friends too. And that's her main worry about this is that she's very pleased that he is unattached now, yeah. not going to yeah. marry Louisa, but that his friendships were disrupted by it. Um, yeah. That's what she's trying to find out from the Crofts, which she runs, runs into. Um, and yeah. I, I thought that was really interesting, that high value of friendship, um, and of course it makes sense coming from Anne because Anne doesn't have very many friends no. so she really sees the value yeah 
Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, too, uh, right along that line in this chapter, when the Crofts arrived. And I, I thought it was interesting that, well, they're not going to know anybody. They're not going to have any. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't want to introduce the Crofts to anyone. No, no. They said, we dare not introduce them in Laura Place. No. <laughs> No, but then what's funny is that the Crofts see people they know all the time. And so they seem to have more friends than the Elliots do, which is so funny. (laughs) Oh, I know. I just thought it was such a contrast, too, that it was just like, oh, my goodness. They have so many more friends than the Elliots. I loved when she ran into Admiral Croft and he's staring at that painted ship in the window, like super upset about it because he thinks it's just a terrible portrayal of a boat. And he says, I would not venture over a horse pond in that. I I love the Crofts. They might be my favorites. I do too. And I thought it was very interesting when he was talking about it. He, he couldn't think of Louise's name, which I thought was very cute. I'm that way too. <laughs> anyway, uh, he thought that Captain Wentworth, he wondered about him because it seems like he went off visiting a lot while he was with Louisa. You know, he could yes. have been there and he was, they, they were thinking that, that, they would become engaged and get married. Yes. But it was odd that he he understood he was off visiting his brother and then he was off visiting a friend. And he was and uh he thought that was a little and so Captain Benwick was just kind of thrown together with Yes. And I, I like this moment too that Anne is try, gently, but definitely trying to pry. She's trying to get information out of him, yeah. which yeah. is not very Anne Elliot like. So that's pretty funny that she feels so strongly that she's probing a little bit more obviously than she would have. But um, she says, uh, I hope, Admiral, I hope there is nothing in the style of Captain Wentworth's letter to make you and Mrs. Croft particularly uneasy. It did certainly seem last autumn as if there were an attachment between him and Louisa Musgrove, but I hope it may be understood to have worn out on each side equally and without violence. I hope his letter does not breathe the spirit of an ill-used man. And first of all, she says, I hope like five times in that passage, which is such a funny little touch of showing that hesitancy, but she's also just she can't help it she has to know she's trying to do it delicately but she's just saying i hope i hope and then he says not at all not at all there's not an oath or murmur from beginning to end and then Anne has to look down to hide her smile which i think is very cute and and real to that moment of just like of real genuine pleasure yeah i i thought it was an interesting thing with with admiral Craw. Uh, and then, of course, the Crofts knew quite as many people in Bath as they wished for and considered their intercourse with the Elliots as a mere matter of form. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. And it's telling that the Elliots actually spend way more time thinking about the Crofts than the Crofts spend thinking about them. You know, shall we introduce them in Laura Place? Shall we do this? No. Oh, no, we could never do that. And then the Crofts are just like, Oh, of course, we'll run into them. It'll be fine. But we have friends here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. 
So, uh, and of course, she just kept asking uh, Mr. Croft, wasn't he an admiral? Yes, yeah. Admiral Croft. What he was going to tell her. She was, She's so interested in finding out about, about Captain Wentworth, you know, she can hardly stand it. And this chapter, chapter six, ends with a great little line. And it's um, Admiral Croft saying, do you not, do not you think, Miss Elliot, we had better try to get him to bath? Oh, I know. I love that too. I love that. Yeah. And, just and nice. I'll have to start looking again. I know. know. Poor Fredericks. Now he must begin all over again with somebody else. <laughs> Do you think that when he says that, he's saying it with a little bit of meaning in reference to Anne? I don't know. I don't, because he didn't know anything about. No, no, but he, yeah. the Crofts like Anne. So I wonder yeah. if he's kind of saying it with a twinkle in his eye. Like, don't yeah. you think we should get him to bath? I would like that idea. I don't know. I, that only just occurred to me, but it's such a little sly little ending to the chapter that it makes me wonder. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like that. I like that. Well, this has been very fun, Grace. Thank you so much, Grandma, for coming on. I loved it. Well, it was just so special for me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I, I just want to tell you how much I enjoyed I have enjoyed all of the podcasts and I love, I love to watch how your brain works. Oh, thanks grandma. <laughs> and, and thank you to everybody who's listening in and been following along with the series. And um, just want to remind you guys that um, please, you know, subscribe and, um, and then share with anybody that you think would be interested and, and that I really appreciate all of you listening in on our Summer Old Book Club conversations. And I'm just having so much fun. So oh, that's just wonderful. That's <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. Well, it was just great, Grace. And you are so super and we are so proud of you and all that you've done. And, and I, I don't know how you do it with your beautiful children, your, family, <laughs> your husband. Your husband, who is like Mrs. Russell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's he. He was right. We're all like, we're all a little bit of Lady Russell. We, we all have our. We have all those people. Right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.